Good morning and welcome to Driving Theology. Uh, my name is Mike and it is uh, February, I believe, February the 3rd. I think it's February 3rd. Is that right? Let's see. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, so February 3rd, 2021. Uh, the world has not ended yet, even though we have a liberal in the White House. Uh, so far, the worst thing that's happened is uh, he has issued enough executive orders in the first three days of his office to uh, anger a lot of uh, the people on the right. Uh, Presumably, I haven't studied it close enough, but probably uh, making an attempt to undo a lot of what uh, Trump did in the past four years of his presidency. So he's been criticized because of the, the sheer number uh, of uh, executive orders that he did right away. Uh, which I get, right? So apparently the record before him was only about five maybe maximum that somebody had done in the first three days of office and he's done 30 so he's smashed that record uh, but I think you know and that's less important right the, the number of executive orders is not as important as what are the executive orders for uh, what are they trying to accomplish uh, and and what does it look like they will accomplish which is the best we can do right now Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think the first thing we would need to look at is uh, what the executive orders are, uh, where the president's coming from, uh, why he's trying to accomplish this, uh, and then you know if 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 we still feel the need to uh, criticize him, uh, from that point we can. Uh, you know, begin to tear apart each one uh, as we see it. Uh, but so far, I don't think I know enough about Joe Biden to to either criticize or praise either way. Uh, I think I said this before. He's going to have to um, now that he's in office. He's got to prove that he belongs there. That uh, that you know the promises he made to get him there. He's going to work on, right? That, that he, that he doesn't have, uh, that he has an intention at least of fulfilling those promises. Uh, I'm not naive. I realize that most of, most campaign promises, uh, go largely unfulfilled. Um, but still, it'd be nice to find a guy who actually tries to. And, and I think these, this immediate action by him of these 30, 30 ex executive orders uh, is probably trying to send a statement that he's not there to mess around, uh, that he's he's there to right some wrongs and to uh, to to really do the work uh, that he set out to do. Um, now, as far as sheer number of executive orders for one president, or at least for for a a uh, single term of a president. I have a feeling Trump still holds that record, but I'm not sure. I know he issued a lot of his executive orders. Uh, but this, I don't really trust this 
criticism because both sides always use it as early ammunition to criticize uh, the president of the opposing party uh, which they support, right? Um, or which they're against, I guess is the best way to say that. Uh, so, you know, criticizing executive orders usually comes down to something very vague um, like numbers, right? Or the fact that he's doing executive orders at all, right? Are they even constitutional? Blah, 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 blah. So I don't really trust uh, trust this climate of just criticizing uh, executive orders because they're executive orders. I think, I think we really need to look at each one and figure out, as I said, the intentions of the president how many of those executive orders are fulfillments, uh, yeah, are fulfillment to promises made while campaigning, uh, and uh, whether or not you know the prognosis looks good or not, whether or not they're going to have the the promised or desired effect, uh, and how likely that is to happen. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What what I'm most excited about these days. Is not waking up to. Uh, sorry, my something is really loud in my backseat. I don't have to wake up to um, random news stories that Trump's done this or Trump's done that. You know, it's constant the last four years. Every time I'd get out of bed, I kept wondering what has Trump done now. You know. Um, at least we're not getting that kind of news about Biden, at least right now. And yes, the, the critics will say, well, that's because Biden is protected by the liberal news agencies. And fair enough, uh, that could be true. Uh, but we'll see. The, the news agencies still have to have news, right? They still, they still have to uh, bring in their share of bad news in order to sell newspapers and and uh, advertising, they need to bring the customers in. So they'll turn on Biden at some point um, when he doesn't uh, fulfill whatever they think or whatever they deem necessary or important. So yeah, I think there may be a grace period that's being given to Biden. And frankly, he hasn't antagonized people as Trump did uh, early on. So, you know, I, that's also understandable without bringing in bias uh, and I, I'm also not convinced. I have a feeling it's true, but I'm not completely convinced uh, that news agencies in general are biased. And that's because people are getting their news from wherever they want these days, right? They tend to shut out any news they don't want anyway, right? And so if you are uh, on the left, yeah, you're probably tuning into CNN and, and you probably read the uh, Washington Post and uh, the New York Times and whatnot. But if you're not, you probably don't watch those shows. You don't get your news from those sources anyway. You get it from wherever you think is the best source, whether it's Fox or, you know, whatever. So I don't think uh, there they have a leg to stand on when they say the news uh, basically created this election because people get their news where they want to right now and they get it when they want it. They don't have to watch TV and wait for it to come on. They, they go right to the source, right? 
and they believe the news that they're able to get um, and it's very personal to them so yeah I don't I don't I don't buy that somehow the media uh, has as much power as it once did uh, now did it once have a lot more power than it does today yes for sure uh, but not anymore people get their news where they want it and how they want it right it's like Burger King have it your way um, so I'm not saying that a lot of the traditional big news news agencies aren't liberal I just don't think that that they have as big an impact on on voters and the narrative as they once did and I think that's pretty indisputable I think you see evidence of that on social media, for example, and the, the kind of news that people post. Uh, you don't see, uh, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, the, new, the media has been vilified uh, by Trump, um, but I think he, he failed. No, I, I think he knows the truth, actually. I don't put it past Trump to know the truth, but still uh, try to, try to, uh, push his narrative, the one that he wants people to believe, uh, because it makes him into a victim, and, and so he can get some sympathy votes, because he's being, um, you know, bullied by big media, is what he would call it. Uh, I think it's ridiculous, and I think, I think most everything balances out, right? If it's, if it's media on one side, then uh, there's probably a big presence for the right somewhere else that's not media uh, and I think that proved to be uh, evangelicalism right that that proved to be the the big powerful uh, rich <clears throat> partner uh, to to Trump and the and the GOP that perhaps media was to the right not to mention um, you know, they, they have a lot of traditional manufacturing and, and big business, uh, pharmaceutical companies, for example, uh, whereas the right probably has uh, social media and Silicon Valley, uh, perhaps more uh, in their camp. So anyway, I really didn't want to start off with politics today, but seeing how evenly split America was um, I say how evenly split because it wasn't even right the voting was obviously toward Biden he won the popular vote and the electoral vote but um, yeah witnessing the victory that he had you still see that America is quite um, evenly distributed between right and left uh, and no uh, no solution in sight for that, unfortunately. Um, at least no embracing of the solution. Uh, yeah, so let's change subjects. So, you know, we're still in uh, this corona uh, time and we have uh, suggest, uh, suggested restrictions on meeting and, and uh, you know, traveling and, and all of these things here in Japan pretty much you can go where you want do what you want but uh, 
there are suggestions that you don't and and presumably because a you know Japan is more of a shaming culture than the states presumably if we step out of bounds uh, and do uh, or are the cause of a, a super spreader event for example or a cluster uh, then you know there could be a lot of social implications for that for people here if it were to get out so generally people try to you know stay in line and follow the restrictions uh, aside for younger people who uh, obviously you know have have uh, urges and needs to to be out and about and exercise their independence and that's part of the phase they're going through and uh, so that's that's one thing that doesn't quite uh, work with all this but in general I think Japanese are trying to follow the, the restrictions as for us where that affects us I'd say the most is of course with our business uh, our English school uh, but also with our gathering so we we have a we've been housing or hosting a house church for uh, the past well, really, about 11 years. I think we started somewhere around 2010, 2009. Um, but we've been exclusively at our home since 2013, almost 2014. So seven, going on seven years. Actually, seven years now uh, that we've been not uh, worshiping with a traditional church at all. Uh, and, you know, with the uh, restrictions on meeting, uh, it's been quite, quite difficult. And we have a lot of kids, a lot of young families, and people really want to, uh, as much as possible, get together. And so I think as the weather warms up and it's seeming to start to, it seems like it's going to start warming up here pretty soon, uh, hopefully we'll be able to do some outdoor events anyway very least which would be really wonderful um, and we might start this next Sunday doing that <clears throat> so yeah um, that's what we're looking at right now but last night we uh, were on zoom and uh, we've been trying to meet faithfully with zoom even though it's very difficult with people with uh, young families to do that and that's understandable uh, we've been meeting Zoom pretty much every week, and uh, back in, uh, I think it was October, we started a series on uh, Colossians and just moving through Colossians, and then we got sidetracked by Christmas, and we did uh, some Advent lessons for Christmas, uh, and uh, we've had a few weeks of just praying and discussing, but now we're going back, and we're going to start Colossians again. Uh, so that we can um, keep momentum all the way through at this time, hopefully. So last night we started Colossians 1 through 14, and it was really weird going back and starting the same thing we had done just three or four months ago. And that, that is, man, at first nothing, nothing seemed to come forth. Nothing seemed to pop off the page. Nothing seemed out of place or interesting or um, at all intriguing, right, in the beginning. But as we sat there and just, you know, 
had some awkward silences for a while trying to figure out what we wanted to bring forth, we did get into a really great discussion uh, on the, the knowledge of God question. Uh, and Colossians, I want to say, uh, verse 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, right in there, uh, talks about how uh, what was it um, that we are to that, that the things that are pleasing to God is that we uh, bear fruit and that we grow in the knowledge of God <clears throat> grow in the knowledge of God and this this growing in the knowledge and the word knowledge itself uh, became interesting to us because of course we're dealing in Japanese and English and so they got into the the uh, the word for knowledge, which I believe is chishki. Chishki is the Japanese word for knowledge in this case, um, and uh, what that seemed to mean in Japanese. And uh, I looked in in the uh, Greek New Testament that I have, and and the word for knowledge there uh, was just translated knowledge. There was no other explanation for it and so in western languages it seems to be quite straightforward but for Japanese there was this there's this weird thing uh, with chishiki uh, and and exactly what that connotation means and so what does it mean to know God and I think I started this uh, started us down this by asking people if they thought they know God do you know God or not and that question uh, kind of segued into well how how, how do we know God, right? How can we know Him? Uh, which segued into, you know, the, the idea of growing in knowledge, right? Whether we ever completely know God or not, which most people seem to think is impossible because of our uh, finite existence and, and God's infinite existence. Um, we did get to the point, without me bringing it up, that the way we know God is to know Jesus. Right? And if we know Jesus, we know God. At least, at least the important parts, which, which are his character, right? Who he is, what are his values, right? Um, what is his essence? Yeah, you can't know every single uh, heartbeat of God. You can't know everything that he's ever done specifically, right? Unless he reveals it to us. Um, but we can know who he is right as we know anyone and it goes down to the the question of character uh, if somebody were to <clears throat> say that they they um, witnessed my wife stealing something from a store actually shoplifting and taking something out of a store okay and they witnessed it and this person is also a say a trustworthy person I, I believe that they are that they believe what they saw. For me, I know my wife. I know my wife that, in a way that tells me there's no way she did that. There's got to be a different story. There's something else that this guy missed. It's not as cut and dry as what he sees it. There's, there's some missing information. And so because I know my wife, <clears throat> uh, what, what actions people attribute to her I will filter through my knowledge of her. And if it fits, then I, I, I won't have a problem accepting it. 
But if it's something that obviously does not fit with her character, uh, then then I will know that I have to look deeper, that there's another story, right? There's something else going on. Uh, and this is something that uh, David, uh, sorry, not David, Greg Boyd uh, brought out in, in his books. Uh, and he talks about, you know, he, he makes up a story about his wife, <clears throat> him witnessing his wife across the busy street uh, on the other side of the street, and she does not see him, and, a, and she attacks a homeless man. And I think maybe takes something from him and then walks off. Well, he knows his wife. He knows her character. He knows what she would do and what she would not do. And so when he sees this, he realizes there must be another story. There's something else going on here. Uh, there is a layer of understanding that he is missing. And therefore, instead of immediately assuming the worst about his wife, uh, he, he digs deeper and tries to, to find out the, the, the whole truth about the situation. This is the situation we find ourselves in when we are confronted with the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament uh, seems to be a lot like us. He gets angry and jealous and violent and uh, vindictive, right? He's, uh, he's demanding uh, and sometimes he's demeaning. Uh, he, he takes life, right? Um, and he demands the taking of life. He demands the letting of blood, if you will. Um, and then we're told that God came as a, a human being in, in the person of Jesus. Uh, and, and Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and to go the extra mile uh, and to turn the other cheek uh, and to, to take up your cross um, he said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Uh, blessed are those who weep. Blessed are you when you are persecuted, right? He seemed to be the opposite uh, of the God in the Old Testament. <clears throat> so we're faced with a dilemma. Here we're told it's the same God, but obviously... Uh, this God was having a bad day in the Old Testament. And can God have a bad day? We know people can have a bad day. People can do something out of character. Uh, but this would mean that God did something out of character for the first uh, 3,000 years of human history and then suddenly changed his character and has changed his character for the last... 2,000 years of human history, right? That God obviously is not the same yesterday as he is today. And it's exacerbated by the, by the, the, um, what do you call it? Mistaken reading, mistaken interpretation of Revelation, uh, where people say he's going to go back to being that vindictive, punishing God, Right? That Jesus is going to bear the sword and 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 draw blood again in the future, but somehow in the middle during the Jesus the Jesus uh, era of God, uh, he was you know he was basically a hippie peace peace and love yeah don't make war make love <laughs> kind of God. 
Uh, and so this is a dilemma, right? So what some people have done is, is to say that Jesus is just one aspect of God, that God is much bigger than Jesus, that Jesus is not the full revelation of God. He's a partial revelation of God. And he was revealed to be that way in such a time that needed that. Uh, but actually, uh, different times call for different measures, right? So the Old Testament called for a harsh God. The New Testament called for a loving, forgiving God. Uh, but the future is going to call for a harsh God again. That doesn't sit with me, right? That doesn't sit with me. Uh, it, it did once, right? I, I tried to jump through those uh, mental and spiritual gymnastics to make that all work out. But, it, but at one point I realized, no, the people of the Old Testament had a partial view that was... Uh, strongly biased toward uh, their own motives and their own actions. And I believe honestly so, right? I, I think they were honestly biased. I don't think they meant to be. But they assumed that God was like them. And so when they saw uh, said event, they recorded it in a way that they interpreted God's uh, actions and, and God's motives uh, to be much the same as theirs would have been. God was wronged, therefore he became violent, right? Uh, God was, uh, what's the word, offended, uh, therefore he went on the offense, <laughs> right? Um, what this doesn't take into account is human perspective. We don't allow the Bible to have human perspective uh, based on a few scriptures. Um, one of the scriptures, of course, uh, is, I believe, in 1 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired of God, right? All scripture is God-breathed, is what uh, that says. Um, and so we take this inspiration word, and first we have to interpret that. Okay, what does it mean to breathe, Right? to breathe the initial way is to say well God basically used humans as fleshly printers uh, to to print out exactly what he uh, said and to basically take dictation for him and so uh, what these uh, people did was uh, say verbatim uh, write verbatim what he said, and they didn't miss anything, right? And so everything in the Old Testament is exactly as God wants it to be, um, and it is completely true, and many would say literally true, okay? That there are no uh, residual uh, human perspective errors, but if, if you will just, just for a minute, take a second to, to entertain the idea that the Bible can be, that the Old Testament, because the Old, New Testament didn't written when Paul was talking, that the, New, that the Old Testament is God-breathed, and yet uh, it, it can contain 
misconceptions of him and that for some reason, for God's own reasons, he allowed the misconceptions to be recorded. Okay. Uh, and if you entertain the idea that God breathed perhaps uh, just means God breathed in the sense that uh, God also breathed into Adam. Right? That, that Adam contained the breath of life, that the scriptures have a life to them that is sustained by God, uh, that, that helps them withstand the test of time, that God indeed does want them to, to persist, uh, to, to endure, right, to be there for all generations. But it doesn't necessarily indicate that every word is perfect. Uh, but it also could contain the idea that God is not threatened if imperfect, in, 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 imperfect things are recorded about him. That he can still uh, survive that. And in, indeed he must, right? Even if, even if the Bible was perfect. Let's say every word in the Hebrew Bible is perfect and true. It still has to be interpreted into other languages. Right? It has to be interpreted and translated into English. And then we have to translate that as we read it. So we interpret everything we read. Right? There are lev levels and layers of interpretation over thousands of years, mind you, that the Bible has gone through. Right? So even if you, you believe that the King James is the best English translation, uh, in existence, it was still translated some uh, 1,500 years after the fact, right? And there wasn't a lot of knowledge of what the world was like back then. And so the hermeneutic, right, the, the, the practice of interpretation based on historical accuracy would have been very difficult in the 1600s. It's difficult now, and, and we have a lot more going for us. We have d databases and archaeology uh, that, uh, you know, connect the entire world. But in the time of King James, they, they didn't have a lot of this available. There's so much more knowledge available now than he had and his interpreters. And, and so, uh, even, if, even if the scriptures were perfect, uh, they become imperfect just by translating into other languages and then the reading of each individual. So why couldn't they be imperfect in the original transcription? Uh, and once you, once you concede that the Bible can be God-breathed and imperfect at the same time, as is the entire creation, right? The entire creation is God-breathed. In other words, it was created by the words of God, and, and words uh, necessarily have the idea of breath in them, right? Um, God created an imperfect world where, where sin was possible and decay was possible, where sorrow was possible, right? right? So in, in that... I don't think God sees it as imperfect, but we do, right? Uh, I think in, in, in that case, 
it's not it's not a stretch to say that that the the Bible can be both God breathed and imperfect. Okay, uh, and even you know with the modern idea of inspiration, right? Uh, Picasso inspired uh, a friend of mine who's an author, uh, who's a, a painter. But her paintings are not copies of Picasso, right? Her paintings uh, have maybe a little influence, but but they are her own. She makes her own choices, her own decisions. And and if, if she were trying to interpret a Picasso painting, it would still be different, right? It would still be different, uh, at least to the expert. Um, and that's a good thing, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's what you want in art. Okay, so, man, I've really gone off on a tangent today. Um, so we started with the word knowledge, right, and in, in Colossians. Um, and, I, and I think the important part of this is that Jesus is the final revelation of who God is, that, that everything you need to know about God, you can know in Jesus. Now, you're going to have to interpret. You're going to have to interpret who Jesus is to you, right? So as you read about Jesus, as you pray uh, to Jesus, uh, as you contemplate who Jesus is, as you as you look in the world and see uh, see the universal Christ everywhere, right? You're still going to have to interpret what you see through your senses and, and feel in your heart and, and think in your mind. It all still has to be interpreted. But that doesn't mean that you can't get a really, really good picture of who God is. And you can continue to grow in that knowledge uh, as you aim toward that goal, knowledge of God. And I think knowledge of God, uh, I think I think knowledge of God eventually will bear fruit. We don't like to think that way, right? We want people to do stuff. If, if you want to bear fruit, you have to get out and do stuff. You need to do, uh, you know, go spread the gospel, be a missionary, be a preacher, teach a Bible class, uh, whatever. Um, that Those are not bad things. <clears throat> but I feel like a lot of that stuff is going to come from a, a desire to know God, right? This is what Paul said, I want to know God. And the, and the power of his resurrection. The power of his rising, the power of his resurrection. Uh, Paul thought knowledge of God was, was the most important thing. Okay? Uh, he, he said he considers all things a loss except to know Christ. Um, and so I think if we will focus... Uh, as much as we can on knowing Christ better, I think a lot of things will fall into place. Uh, a lot of things will finally be uh, in a context that is not awkward and forced, but, but quite natural and in the flow uh, of, that, of that desire. So I'm about to where I need to be today. Uh, I apologize for not getting some of these uh, podcasts up. I've finally got my computer back and working well and and I'll try to get some podcasts up this uh, weekend perhaps or maybe tonight even uh, it's been a kind of a rough couple months with a lot of 
failures and setbacks and, and busy work and stuff that I had to get done. Uh, but things are going to smooth out hopefully within a week or two. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to sail into the spring and uh, have a little bit more freedom, which would be great. So love you guys. Thank you for listening. And uh, you guys have a great, great day. Bye-bye.